The tree of life is Jesus. The tree of life is, um, is knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and being filled by Jesus' spirit and doing life uh, with Jesus. I think that's what the tree of life is. He wants us to choose innocence and he wants us to choose life and he wants us to choose mercy and he wants us to choose joy and he wants us to let him be God and we're just to be his people. And that sounds so stinking simple. And yet it's so hard. And here's the thing. When you get into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you eat of it, the problem is it doesn't kill you instantly. This poison goes inside of you and it begins to work slowly. God invites us into situations when things happen to us. Instead of getting into the knowledge of good and evil, God invites us to let those things go through Jesus. glad that you are here this weekend um, on the way into all of our services you're handed a copy of the notes and if you want to look on as I teach with that that's great if you learn best by listening that's fine uh, there are a couple places where we have some fill in the blanks and we do that because we believe that when uh, you write things down it helps you remember I had a professor in college that taught me the weakest ink is stronger than the best mind and the older I get the more I know that's very true so it's just a chance if you want to memorize some of these things and remember them, uh, you can uh, do that right there. Here's what we're doing this weekend to wrap up a series that we've been talking about for Easter. We called it The Faces of Jesus, and we just took it from things that Jesus revealed about himself. So for instance, uh, our first message was on Jesus the shepherd, because when he talked about himself, he called himself a shepherd. And then we talked about Jesus the teacher because Jesus called himself rabbi, which means teacher. And then we talked about Jesus the healer because Jesus revealed himself as a healer to us in multiple ways. And this weekend for Easter, we wind up with Jesus the Savior because ultimately that's why he came, gave himself to us to be our Savior. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you pay attention to what's on the television this time of year I think as a pastor, I'm a little more aware of the stuff that they put on about Jesus. And here's what's really funny. Most of the television shows about Jesus are like the real Jesus, the historical Jesus. What I find hilarious, the people that are doing that don't even know Jesus, and they're trying to tell us uh, about Jesus. And so as they're doing that, uh, one of the things that all of the specials uh, show uh, in, in, their, uh, in their shows is a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And if you're not a Christian, not a believer, maybe you've heard of that. Let me explain what it is real quickly. Uh, people believe uh, there's two places, but the most predominant one that people believe that Jesus uh, was crucified and buried 
uh, and rose again was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But here's how it's being presented right now uh, in newspaper, uh, in, in magazine, on the television. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the place where Jesus was uh, died and where Jesus was buried, and they leave out the most significant issue. The place where Jesus was what? Resurrected. Okay, so let me just make it clear what we're talking about this week in the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that we believe to be important, all of history. The only reason I'm standing here instead of playing golf this weekend is because I believe that Jesus is resurrected, right? That's the difference, and that's what we're teaching about. So um, I've got a scripture for you that might be, maybe, um, maybe I'm not sure that anybody's ever used this story for an Easter message. But it kind of goes with the idea of the faces of Jesus. And I, I'm relating it this weekend to probably three places that people are going to find themselves in this weekend. And they're probably the three places that this group of people who had an experience with Jesus um, found themselves in. So this is from uh, the Gospel of Luke. So in the Bible, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, and then Luke's Gospel. And Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, is a really cool story about Jesus healing 10 people. But I think that it uh, is their response to their interaction with Jesus that kind of describes where a lot of people are at with him. And so I'm going to use it to teach from this weekend. So I'll just read it to you. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village, there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And let me explain this real quickly. The reason they're standing at a distance, the reason they don't come up to him, the reason they don't touch him, introduce themselves to him, during that time, uh, at that point in history, if you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. Leprosy is spread by touch. And so what, uh, what they had for the law during that time was a person who had leprosy couldn't get close to anybody else or else you would make them unclean. So they had to actually stand at a distance. And here's what they had to do. When anybody came into a town where these people were at, they had to announce themselves as having leprosy. Can you imagine being that person who when anybody came in and out, you had to yell out, I've got leprosy, stay away. So the reason these guys are yelling at Jesus rather than walking up to him is it is illegal for them to do so, and they can be killed for doing so. Jesus looked at these ten men and said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is significant for this reason. Uh, if they were healed, the way that it was proved for them to be healed is that they had to go to the high priest. The high priest was sort of not only uh, the person who watched over the nation, but also uh, acted as a doctor at times. And so the high priest would examine the person with leprosy, and if they didn't have leprosy, he could tell them, okay, you're clean, you can now mingle with everybody. So Jesus says to them when they say, hey, Jesus, have mercy on us, uh, heal us, basically. Jesus just simply, he doesn't lay hands on them, he doesn't say anything to them other than, hey, go show yourself to the high priest, and here's what happens. As they went... They were cleansed of their leprosy. Here's what I like about that. Uh, the only thing that God wants from us is obedience. God, God didn't ask them to say a prayer. He didn't ask them to give any money. He didn't ask them to show up and do anything. All he told them to do was go show themselves. Listen, if God ever tells you anything, all you need to do is listen to him. Doesn't that sound simple? Wow. Very good. Yeah, I think, I think maybe you get it right there. All right. Uh, the ten of them went to show themselves to the priest. All ten of them were healed, 
And then this is what happened. One of them. So 90% of them didn't. 10% of them did. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. Wow, this is amazing. Let me ask you. If you got healed like that, what would you do? Would you go your own way? Would you just go do your own thing? Would you just ignore what happened? Would you just go back to your life? Because a lot of people, when God does great things for them, ignore it. Very few people actually pay attention to what God does for them. Uh, The one, though, that came back fell to the ground at Jesus' feet. He thanked Jesus for what he had done for him. This man was a Samaritan, and we don't really have a good analogy for this in our society, but this is not the person who was supposed to do this. The other nine were probably Jewish, and they should have known exactly what to do. The ones who knew what to do didn't, and the one who was sort of the outcast, the one who was least suspected of of getting it, was the one who came back. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked him this question. Didn't I heal all ten of you? Just a thought. If God ever asks you a question, it's not because he lacks the knowledge. Trying to get you to realize something. (laughs) Where are the other nine? Where's the 90%? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus makes this statement to the guy. Stand up and go your own way because your faith has what? It saved you. Literally, uh, the, the word there is made you whole. It's healed you. It's made you whole in your mind, in your spirit, in your body. When God works in our lives, it's not just one thing. It's the whole person that he wants to heal. All right, if you've got a pen or a pencil, or you can remember this, let me give you these three things because I think they're the three reactions that people have to Jesus when he does remarkable things for them in their lives. And I'll just give the one, two, three away real quickly. I'm going to talk about the many, the few, and all. Here's the first one. Many see Jesus as nothing more than a way out of trouble. When Jesus is talked about today and when he's thought about today, he's thought about as a nice person, a good man, a guy who does good things. But most people don't see him for too much more than a way out of trouble. I know not this service because like the people who love God most are in this service right now. I know that. Like the heathens were in the last one, trust me. I saw them, I could tell. But like the ones who really love God are here right now, so this probably doesn't apply in here. But is anybody in this room, rhetorically I'm asking, has anybody in this room ever used the words, hey God, if you do this, I promise I will? Thank you, sir, one person. Everybody else in here is like, I've never said those things. I never pray. Okay, uh, <laughs> How about this? Uh, When you were a kid in school, did you ever say, uh, God, if you let me pass this test, I promise next time I'll study? Do you know why God doesn't answer that prayer? Because you'd never study. That's that's why. I I know no one's ever prayed this one. God, if you get me out of this ticket, I'll never speed again. (laughs) A lot of people consider Jesus a person to be bargained with. If you ask the average person, tell me a little bit about Jesus, they'll say he's a good guy. They may even go as far as to say he's a prophet. And some people believe that he answers prayer, but they see him more as a way out of trouble than they do for what he really is. He's God. He's not a way. He's not some truth. His own confession about himself is that he is the way, the truth, and the life, 
and no one can come to God unless they come by him. Jesus is not a nice path, a bargaining chip to be used when you're in trouble or something that you turn to because the chips are down. In fact, maybe the best way to say it is this. Uh, Jesus is not a fire escape. Seems like we get in trouble, and that's when we begin to talk a lot to God. Um, Chris and I built a house uh, quite a few years ago now. When we built it, um, we didn't have any of the landscaping in. Uh, we have a basement, so we've got those great big window wells. Anybody else have those things? You know, our kids were little at the time. And, um, man, it took everything we had to get into the house, and we couldn't do anything about those window wells yet, so I didn't have them covered. And it seemed like every day some animal was ending up in my window wells. You ever had that happen? It's like uh, uh, mice would get in there all the time. And I felt so bad for those mice, I would stick a little stick down there, and they'd crawl up and get out. Uh, Sometimes rabbits, little bunnies, got down in there. You know, they look cute. Get down in there with them and find out how cute (laughs) they are. Any animal you back into a corner, trust me. Here's the best thing. If your wife will videotape it so you can see it years later. Really, really funny. One time a groundhog got in there. And I had to get him out. But the worst one were frogs. Frogs seemed like they always would hop and end up in this thing. And um, I wouldn't check all of the time. And one time I looked in there and there was like two of them, you know turned hard and upside down in there. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to start checking this every day. And every day I'd find a frog in there and I'd go down in there and get that frog out. And in a way, man, listen real quickly. It's funny and we laugh, but a lot of us treat Jesus the exact same way. We get into trouble and we can't get out and here's what we think. If you'll just get me out of this, I won't do it again. And we laugh at that. You think it's cute, you think it's just an analogy, but do you know how many people treat Jesus that exact same way? He's just something to get me out of trouble. Not someone to bow my knee to, and not someone to give my life to, and not someone to serve as a king and a lord, but someone that when the pressure's on or when I'm in trouble, I can just call out to him and bargain with him, and because he's so good, he'll get me out of trouble. Truth of the matter is, man, Jesus is not a fire escape. That's not what his job is. That's not why he came to earth. That's not why he gave his life. Here's what I believe. He died, he was buried, but he rose again because he's king of kings and lord of lords. I don't hold back from that. You might think I'm crazy for believing that, but it changed my life, and I think it changed history. That's why we're here this afternoon and this weekend, because Jesus is not just some way out of trouble Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And that's not me, but that's him who said that about himself. I heard someone one time much smarter than me make a statement about Jesus that he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord, but he can't be all three. You get to decide which one that you think he is. Either he lied to us, he's crazy, or he really is the Lord. And my hope is that you'll come to the right conclusion that he is the Lord. That he loved you and everything that he did was because of you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If I were to simplify theology, and I'm always a little afraid to do that because it dumbs it down where people think it's just that simple. But if I put it in terms you could understand very quickly, (laughs) Jesus got what we deserved so we could have what he deserved. He took our punishment. He took our place. And we get his blessing. 
Jesus is not someone to be bargained with when you get into trouble. He is the Lord of all and invites you to a relationship with him. So many see Jesus as nothing more than a way out of trouble. How about this? Few see Jesus as Lord. Uh, Verse 15 and 16 of that uh, little story I read to you reads this way. One of them. I think that's really interesting, man, that 10 of them were healed, but one of them came back. 90% used him as nothing more than a way out of trouble, but one realized who he really was and what he had really done for him. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Again, the one that probably shouldn't have recognized him as Lord did recognize him as Lord. Uh, years ago, I don't have it anymore. Uh, I used to have a Facebook account. Uh, after recent events, I'm glad I do not have a Facebook account. <laughs> but I gave it up years and years ago for this reason. Uh, for me, I'm a compulsive person. Wow, nobody else in the room is a compulsive uh, person. I'm a compulsive person. I have to uh, check and check and check and check and check and check and when I'm done checking, check some more. Uh, Facebook had this ability in my life to tap into um, (laughs) my compulsion. I had to check it all the time, check, check, check. And I realized, man, what a powerful time waster this is. But here's the thing about Facebook that I recognized. It's true for YouTube. It's true for most social media platforms in some way or the other. When somebody posts something, a picture, uh, a thought, an idea, they always uh, have the opportunity to like it, yes or no. What you don't want is the dislike. You know, when I make the statement that a few people see Jesus as Lord, uh, let me make this clear to you. Um, Jesus is not asking for you to like him. Jesus didn't do what he did so that you give him a thumbs up. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He wants followers. Salvation is free because he did all the work. But discipleship costs you everything. So let me be clear what I'm talking about right now. I'm not offering you a chip to get out of trouble when you stand before God. I'm asking, do you understand that he wants to be the Lord of your life? He doesn't want you to give him a thumbs up and be proud of him. Uh, One time he's walking with his disciples. The Bible says he did so many miracles, so many good things, so many powerful things that he had thousands of people who were following him at one point. Thousands. And the twelve are walking along with him and kind of managing what's going on. And then Jesus, as he was apt to do, suddenly stops and recognizes what's really going on. And he cuts right to the heart of the matter, lest this is what he says. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. Can you hear Peter leaning over and going, hey, this is bad for business, man. This is not going to be good. And that's exactly what the Bible says. John chapter 6, verse 66, that at that time, most of his followers turned and walked away, never to come back. And then Jesus looked at Peter, and this is what he said to Peter. Are you going to go with him? And then Peter, under the revelation of the Holy Spirit, says this. You have the words of life, and where would I go anyway? Jesus doesn't want you to like him. To think he's a good guy or did some nice things. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He doesn't need people who like him or people who wave or clap politely. 
He asks you to be a follower and a follower. Remember, salvation is free, but a disciple costs you everything to be a disciple. Still one in? Give you the third one. So, hey, many people see Jesus as a way out of trouble. A few people see Jesus as Lord. How about this, though? All people. How many is all? All people can be saved if they want to. Verse 19. It's a really sweet verse. And Jesus said to the man, the Samaritan, stand up and go your way. Your faith has, what does it say? Saved you. Your faith has saved you. When God saves you, he doesn't just pluck you out from going to hell. Uh, the whole word saved there has to do with the whole person. Man, when he saves you, he saves you mind, spirit, and body. Let me, let me test your knowledge about something real quick. The last service did pretty good with it. Let me see how you do. Jesus had three words right before he died. Does anybody remember what those three words were? Say it out loud for me. Okay, so in case you didn't hear, here's the three words Jesus uttered right before he died. It is finished. It is finished. What? My life? This chapter? What's finished? Uh, Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. Um, in the Aramaic, the word finished is the word tetelestai, and it means four things. So when Jesus says it's finished, he's speaking to four people. Listen to what this means. The first thing that tetelestai means, it's finished. If you're a servant and your master has sent you on an assignment and you carry out the assignment perfectly, when you return to your master, you use the word tetelestai. I did exactly what you told me. I didn't fail. I didn't make a mistake. I completed my task perfectly. The first person Jesus is talking to is the father. Father, it's finished. I did it for you. The second one. This is really interesting. If you own a business, and in order to keep that business going, you ever had to take a line of credit. Or let's say that in operating your household or buying a house or buying a car or just doing anything, you've ever had to take a loan. Anybody in here ever had to take a loan? Four of us. Wow. I'm going to write down a fifth one. Lying in front of God. Okay. So you take a loan. One of the greatest days that can ever happen to you when you take a loan is to have it stamped, paid in. There was a debt that you and I owed that you could not pay. The Bible says like sheep, we had gone astray and done our own thing and the wages of sin is death. We tend to think of ourselves as much better sometimes than what we really are. When we think of ourselves as not needing a Savior, then we disrespect the work of Jesus. But if you really get who you are and where you were, you were dead in your sin. You weren't sick, you were dead. And the devil owned you. And a price had to be paid. And God knew you couldn't pay it and I couldn't pay it because it would cost us our lives. So he sent Jesus to pay it for us. And one of the things Jesus said when he said to Telestai... He was talking to the enemy, paid in full, leave them alone. They belong to me now. They're mine. They're not yours, and the debt is paid. The high priest. At that time, you have to remember, man, Jesus was Jewish. Uh, Jesus, when we, 
as believers celebrate communion, we get that from the Passover meal. You remember the Passover was Israel being delivered from the Egyptians out of bondage. And you remember that the final plague was that the angel of death was sent. And here's the way that it worked. They sacrificed a lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and they applied it to the posts of the door. And whoever applied the blood of the lamb to their situation, the angel of death did what? He passed over. When the high priest would stand up and sacrifice the lamb and then put the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat, he would speak to the people this word, Tetelestai, it's finished. And God would forgive sin for a year and it would have to be done again next year. But here's what the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is our high priest and his blood is good enough once and for all, Tetelestai, it's finished. It's finished. And last but not least, man, and maybe the one that I think uh, maybe you could get right now. Tetelestai meant the end of a season and the beginning of another. So like uh, just a few days ago, we had the end of sort of winter. It was sort of winter, right? And it's sort of spring right now. Not exactly, but kind of spring. And then it'll be summer, and then maybe it'll be winter. Waits to be seen at this point. We'll see. But we celebrate a particular day and moment as saying it's the end of one season, the beginning of another, correct? Okay, listen. Under the Old Testament, we were in a season, and it was the season of judgment. Judgment. People tell me things like, hey, God is angry, and God is mad, and God is out to get me, and God is pouring out his wrath, and God is not fair. Man, if you really understood the work of Jesus, you would realize that a season of judgment ended when God poured out his wrath on Jesus. And that now we live in the season of grace and mercy. And whosoever wants to come may do so. It's not for church people. It's not for white people. It's not for black people. It's not for Asian people. It's for all people for all time. Whosoever will may come. The end of the season was pronounced Tetelestai. Judgment is over and grace begins. And whosoever wants to can participate in God's salvation. <laughs> John 17, 3. This is what Jesus said. He was asked this question, what is eternal life? Most people, if you said to them, what is eternal life? They would say heaven. Heaven is eternal life. No, heaven is the place you live out eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus was asked this question, what is eternal life? And this is Jesus' answer. It's really important. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and your son whom you sent. You want to know what eternal life is? It's a relationship with Jesus that begins now, and you live then and there. And most people think when I get then and there, I'll figure it out. It's too late. It's just like the blood of the lamb for Passover. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, here's what he said. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's that Lamb. And you decide what you believe right now. I'm not asking you, hey, do you want to join church? Do you want to be good? Do you want to reform your life? I'm not asking you if uh, you need religion. Or you understand everything there is to know about theology and 
you're ready to say yes. Here's what I'm going to ask you right now. Listen to my question. Do you need God's mercy? Do you want his grace? Do you want to choose eternal life? Heaven, you don't remember anything else. Remember this right now. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Nobody ever goes to heaven accidentally. Here are the words that God promises a person who trusts him will hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You get to choose when you choose Jesus. You get to choose when you say no to Jesus. The greatest gift you've ever been given is freedom of choice. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? So just look at me real quick because I'm done. Two things that are really amazing. One, I'm wearing a tie. Right? And two, it was a quick message. Take a picture because it only happens twice a year. I had to revive a guy at the back door. He was like, are you my pastor? Yes, I, I am. Um, I'm not asking you to join church. As great as I think it would be for you to come back here, that's not what this is about. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. I'm not asking you to say, I get everything about it. I'm asking you if you need God's mercy. The Holy Spirit will talk to you right now about whether or not you need it. I'm not even asking you if you think I'm 100% right or if you think I'm all wrong. I'm asking you if you need God's mercy. That's all I'm asking you. It's a choice. Do you want a relationship with Him? Reconciliation is always a two-party issue. It's never a one-party issue. Much as I would like to be reconciled to my wife, when we get into a beef with each other, it takes two people to have reconciliation, doesn't it? The one who messed up needs to say, I was wrong, and the one who was wrong needs to say, I forgive you. God, through Jesus, offers you forgiveness right now. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to make you go anyplace. I'm not going to point you out. But while we pray, I'm going to ask you to respond. Because I believe that there's something of faith when we respond to God by saying, yes, that's what I need. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father... God, there are no such thing as perfect words right now. There's no perfect prayer. We can't memorize something or repeat it over and over and over again to get your attention. Folks, just listen real quick. It's what's in your heart right now that God sees. So I'm going to ask you the question one more time, and I just want you to answer it. Do you want and need God's mercy? Do you need his love? 
when it comes to the issue of salvation, what's your choice? Can you believe that God loves you? That he cares for you? That he designed this whole thing right now to cross paths with you to get your attention to let you know how he feels about you. Jesus wasn't just a good guy. The Apostle Paul says we're to be pitied above all people if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Right now, just listen inside of your heart. What's God saying? Do you need his mercy? Do you want his grace? He offers you friendship. Do you want to be reconciled? If what I just said strikes you and you say, Pastor, that's me, and when you pray... Remember me because I want to say yes to God. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. I need God. Remember me when you pray, Pastor. You bet. You can put them right back down. You bet. I know some people are so shy that it's so hard to respond sometime. And I want to say this one more time to you. God knows what's going on in your heart right now. And even if you find it difficult, he sees. It's the sincerity of your heart that God listens to right now. He's not interested in a religious response. He doesn't want you to say, hey, I got baptized. I went to catechism. This is just between you and him. Do you need him? Father, for every man, woman, young and old. Every person, Father God, right now who recognizes their need for your mercy and for your grace and wants relationship with you, God, do what you do. Have mercy. Forgive us. Embrace us and reconcile us to you through Jesus. God, thank you for loving us and for caring for us. Thank you that you're good. Thank you for hearing us right now. Thank you that your memory is perfect and that you look into our hearts and see exactly. Have mercy. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me.